Hi, everyone. Radhika Jones here, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. With award season in full swing, there's no better time to become a Vanity Fair subscriber. Let our editors take you behind the scenes of this year's nominated films, from prestige indies to major blockbusters, plus exclusive coverage of Hollywood's biggest events. Visit VanityFair.com today and save 10% on a yearly subscription for a limited time with promo code OSCARS. That's VanityFair.com, promo code OSCARS, for 10% off a year of insights and access you won't find anywhere else. Subscribe today while this offer lasts through March 31st, 2024. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. We are so close to the Oscars. It's very exciting. And we're all here. I'm Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com. And I'm here with Richard Lawson, Vanity Fair's film critic. Hello. Vanity Fair senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. And Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, guys. So yeah, we got a little over a week left to go until Oscar night somehow. It kind of feels like it snuck up on us, even though Oscar season lasts forever. What? I don't know. <laughs> no. It definitely does. Well, it's kind of like a weird anti-Doppler effect where it feels really, the time is sort of long, and then it, and the closer then you get, it's really it just short. Or, or maybe, screams at you. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. I, I think Fine. we just have a lot of work to do between now and then, so maybe well, I just... Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's yeah, sure. I have to sew a bunch of dresses. And I know. It's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. You have to finish choreographing all of the uh, interpretive dances that are going to be on you stage. You know, I delegated that to uh, Debbie Allen, so I feel like... <laughs> Speaking of uh, the work we're doing, the main yeah. thing that I've been yeah. dealing with lately is that we're going to do a live stream from the Oscar party immediately following the Oscars. And Katie, you and I will be part of it. Yeah. Uh, and a bunch of other cool folks as well. Michelle mm-hmm. Collins, formerly mm-hmm. of The View and frequently of VF.com. Yep. So do check in to that. Will that be stationary or will you be moving throughout the party? How does that work? We're going to have a studio mm-hmm. that we're going to be broadcasting from, and then we'll have cameras all, cool. all over the red carpet so that we can watch people arrive. And Michelle, Michelle will be, be on, the red carpet. on the red carpet asking questions, being asking crazy And if you haven't seen questions. Michelle Collins do one of these red carpet things, she's done <laughs> stuff for us in the past. She's yeah. really funny. She's, she's extremely good. So good. Irreverent without being, you know offensive or yeah anything. she She's somehow great. threads that line yeah so it'll be it'll be fun it's going to be kind of casual but cool and it'll be the little gold men thing yeah on another level and so immediately following the oscars we're going to be talking about it we're going to be live and direct yeah is that going to be on like our facebook page or how can people find it uh as of now <laughs> pending some conversations <laughs> de- certainly <laughs> on vf.com uh and then most likely on our facebook live and also on our twitter yeah. And we'll, of course, be doing a thrilling live stream from the New York conference room 
uh, while, yes. while we're watching. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. that everyone's really interested in how yeah, that Just <laughs> Richard's uh, laptop camera. Yeah, it's going to be great. Just watching him sweat and type. Me eating Cheetos. And <laughs> <laughs> I plan to record a reaction video to Mike and Katie's Oscar party live oh, that'd be great. <laughs> Let's just let the snake eat its tail. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, the, the Britney inception. crying guy video. <laughs> yes. While we're in the mood for self-promotion, we should also say that we're going to be doing uh, an episode every day next week. We are really blowing out Little Gold Man for the week up to Oscars because obviously there's a ton to talk about. So this will be a regular episode and then next week, Monday through Friday, look forward to new episodes plus the live stream coming on Sunday night. So, uh, and each of those week yes. daily episodes are going to be two hours long. So oh, yeah. Brace yourself. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't plan on doing anything else it except listening our, to us. We're just going to do uh, commentary for mm-hmm. uh, all the other previous award shows that have happened mm-hmm. this season. Uh, so anyway, lots to listen to. I hope you're all as excited about the Oscars as we are because obviously we're pretty excited. Actually, one listener who is obviously excited tweeted on Monday that they wanted us to talk about the BAFTA Awards because those happen on Sunday along with the Grammys, which I don't think anything at the Grammys affected the Oscar race. You guys can tell me otherwise, but I think it was pretty much just the BAFTAs for this weekend. So yeah, the BAFTAs had a couple surprises. Joanna, you were writing about them on Sunday afternoon. Yes. What did we learn from the BAFTAs this year? I guess the big surprise, it wasn't that much of a surprise you look at the BAFTA history, but the fact that Deb Patel took home the BAFTA over Mahershala Ali or anyone else in the supporting actor category. Yeah. Um, but as Katie pointed out on Sunday, you know, BAFTAs like to vote for the for the homeboy. So, you know, occasionally a British performer will sneak in there when there's an American sort of favorite. I think that was sort of the biggest quote-unquote, upset of the night. What else did you observe, Katie? I mean, I think while this was happening, we were looking at Dev winning. We're like, oh, wait, okay, could other narratives be upset? And then you see Emma Stone, Damien Chazelle, and La La Land all win. So there was it's kind of the opposite of an upset, where it's like, okay, here's a confirmation of this steamroller that's not going to be going anywhere. Yeah, you know, I've spoken to a number of British film critics who, or people who cover the industry in England, and they've expressed frustration in recent years that the BAFTAs have sort of realigned themselves to be just kind of Oscar predictors and yeah. rather than sort of being independent and, you know, sort of thinking outside of the sort of herd mentality. I guess the Dev Patel win, you know, also it's a hometown thing, but that's a little remnant of a sort of different kind of thinking. But otherwise, I mean, it hewed really closely to what we assume the Oscar narrative was going to be. Yeah. The BAFTAs also have like a best British made film, like yeah. a specific category for mm-hmm. best British made film. And then their Rising Star Award, which went to Tom Holland once in Future Spider-Man. So, you know, they do have these sort of very British specific categories, but that's almost hilarious that, that they need to make a category for best British film. That's almost like best foreign language film, you know what I mean? But in their own country yeah it's kind of a sad admission of defeat that the best film is not the best british film right exactly although for the last two years in a row i'm you know doing my wikipedia hole they have not picked the eventual best picture winner they went with the revenant and boyhood so there's you know some argument that it's not necessarily predictor but i think if any year it was going to be it's this one but i i think when you see those deviations like dev patel winning when you see a British actor get a BAFTA. I don't think that really sort of does anything to stir the waters of the Oscar race. Like last year, I think Kate Winslet won the BAFTA and I mistakenly changed my prediction. I was like, Kate's going to take it. And I was like, no, you're dumb. It's Alicia. And it was Alicia. (laughs) Yeah, but on the other hand, um, maybe the Globes and the BAFTA together starts to look like, of all the sort of things that we think we know, this might be the one that we know least well. Well, that's the thing is like Mahershala Lee had this huge critical consensus behind him. And as we talked about, Moonlight has all of these different actors. They kind of rallied all the support for Moonlight behind this one actor. But then he loses the BAFTA and the Golden Globe. I mean, if it was a true, you know, steamroll the way that La La Land is, you, you would think that wouldn't happen. Yeah. 
that's seeming less certain than it once did. I mean, he, he won the SAG. He gave a terrific speech terrific at the SAG, SAG speech. And he's now on the cover of uh, The Hollywood Reporter, which is not nothing in mm-hmm. this community, right? And because in you speech, know they're sending that thing to every... Yeah, I mean, and that's and, a good get for that. Yeah, and all the voting is happening right now. Right. Like, that's a big one. And he's talking about this personal experience that he talked about at SAG of converting to Islam. Now, on the other hand... You know, that could go cut both ways. You know, that's a tricky narrative to hang your shingle on in Hollywood. Clint Eastwood might be talking to a stool about it right now. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they may give supporting actor to Hacksaw Ridge. Um, But we'll see. I do think it's, it's a bit wobbly. I will say I liked seeing uh, Manchester by the Sea get screenplay. Yeah. I hope that that means that it has a chance. Yeah, no, that was interesting. And then on the adapted side, Lion won. But it, yeah. again, might be the British thing. We assume now, or I do anyway, that Moonlight will get the adapted. Although there has been some question that I think we're still looking into about why Moonlight's an adapted when, you know, it was only sort of loosely based on this play. You know, yeah, like the eligibility whole thing is a real mystery. Complicated thing. But anyway, the, the conventionalism, at least to me, was that is that Moonlight will still win the adapted screenplay, or I hope it will. But, you know, there are other contenders. Yeah. I'm looking at kind of recent comparisons to something happening, like what happened with Moonlight. And in 2013, uh, neither Matthew McConaughey or Jared Leto were nominated for Dallas Buyers Club. And both of them went on to win the Oscar. They, okay. And so yeah. Barkhada Abdi won for supporting and uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor won for mm. uh, lead, which were great wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's times when BAFTA has gone its own way, which I think is what maybe the British film critics would prefer. Um, I think so, yeah. I just, it's just hard for me to say, like, is, do we think Dev Patel is going to jump in? Like, there's no one. It's not like last year where like we thought Sylvester Stallone had it, but Mark Rylance was like slowly creeping up. Like, right. There just doesn't seem to be anybody Aww. in supporting who's really going to jump in there. Jeff Bridges hasn't been campaigning or anything. No. Right? Yeah. Oh, I know. But like my only concern is that there will be some sort of split. Um, Mm, right. Once again, I don't know if I'm revealing ignorance about like how the Oscars are voted for, but you know, is it possible that a Dev Patel and a Marshall Ali could split and Jeff Bridges could get in there or something? You know, people love Dev Patel and Harvey has done you know some kind of modest Harvey maneuvers with Lion this year. They certainly yeah, it hasn't trotted been the that Harvey. little it's boy around. The- <laughs> yeah, yeah so- Sunny Bullard. Yeah, it's the discount Harvey, but it's still Harvey. <laughs> A vote for Dev is also a vote for Sonny. Yeah, yeah. Only if he accepts a speech holding Sonny do I uh, <laughs> yeah. do I want him to win. They should just spray Sonny gold and let Dev take home that. <laughs> <laughs> like CeeLo at the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> Problematic, but amusing. I know, I know. And, and, and like, I don't want to begrudge. I mean, Dev Patel is a great performer. It's not like he won that BAFTA and I'm like, what is this even? I mean, if anything, it's more it's a little category fraudy. Yeah. Compar- you know, certainly yeah. in comparison. Yeah. Because uh, Marshall is really just dealing with one third of the film. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, and- the size of the roles in supporting actor are hilarious. Like Lucas Hedges is, you know, a co-lead in Manchester by the Sea, I think. Yeah. As opposed Jeff to Bridges is a co-lead in oh, Hell yeah. or High Water. Yeah. And, yeah. Certainly. Like Ben Foster would have been the actual supporting actor in that maybe. Yeah. But Michael Shannon is in, you know, a third of uh, Nocturnal Animals. So it really, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, if, what, if, what if Michael Shannon just jumps up and wins everything and just I mean, scowls the whole time? Could, could happen. <laughs> He's amazing in that movie that I, I know hate, you hate. But no, he is amazing <laughs> in it. Uh, and I mean, I, I want Michael Shannon to have an Oscar. So 
He'll get one. Yeah, he'll get one. Yeah. He'll get one one of these days. Okay, so as we mentioned, Oscar voting is happening right now. Marshall Ali's on the cover of Hollywood Reporter. There's people being tried up for interviews. It's kind of this crazy last minute push. So with all of our huge might of uh, influencing the Oscars, I felt like maybe we could take our last shot to, you know, do a four year consideration for the stuff that we're really pulling for that might really need our help. You know, we've all talked about our favorites throughout the season, but at, at this point, maybe start with Joanna. Just to pick on you, what do you want people to consider that you think maybe isn't getting the consideration that it deserves? Well, you know, this is going to be the same but different from what I've said in the past, which is, you know, as Mike Hogan likes to keep reminding me, it's kind of a miracle that Moonlight is nominated for as many awards as it is. And I agree. But I would like to see it sort of chew away at some of the like below the line categories, Mm -hmm. like film editing or cinematography, please just don't give it all to La La Land. Don't close your eyes and check La La Land for every box because like you're going to give it best picture. Fine. I can deal with it. It's a good movie. But, you know, spread the love on some of these other categories around so that when like can walk away with four awards or something like that, which I think it deserves. Mm. Any one particular category, cinematography? I'd say cinematography, yeah. You know, La La Land is beautiful um, and impressive. But I think for me, what the camera is doing in Moonlight is so much more interesting. Uh, Richard, how about you? Um, I'm just looking at some of the categories sort of further down the, the list, you know, south of the big five. And there are some movies nominated in, you know, maybe one or two categories that I would love to see recognized at the Oscars. Like, you know, I rewatched Hail Caesar recently, and what a great movie that is. And I probably should have put it on my top 10 list. That's up for production design. I would happily see that win. That movie is really intricately built and staged. And, you know, so that would be great. You know, Jackie, which seems to have sort of faded in terms of its best actress chances, is up for costume design. There are some great other nominees up for that, including La La Land. But, you know, I think the costuming in Jackie is really subtle, really smart. So that would be exciting. And then if I can be a little bit negative, (laughs) Suicide Squad is nominated for an Oscar, and it's only one of three in this category that's makeup and hairstyling. If Suicide Squad wins an Oscar, I mean, I'm just going to, I am going to leave the country. (laughs) (laughs) Where will you go? I figured it out. I'm going to Uruguay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have a whole plan, guys. I've looked looked at real estate. Seriously. Um, So, yeah, I would say A Man Called Ove or Star Trek Beyond. Please, guys, vote for those. Yeah, and uh, Julie Miller has a great interview with Joel Harlow and Richard Alonzo, who are nominated for Star Trek. And, like, you know, your mileage may vary on Star Trek. But Star Trek actually won this Oscar before the previous Star Trek did. And so I think A has a shot, and B, once you read that interview, it's really clear. I mean, I know there's a lot of good work on Suicide Squad makeup-wise, I guess, but I'm going to Uruguay with Richard if it wins as well. Yeah, Montevideo, <laughs> beautiful city. <laughs> I want to go back to cinematography, which Joanna was talking about, to FYC for Moonlight, and I wanted to push Arrival, which I now am looking at it and kind of worried it might not win anything, which kind of happens every year. There's like one or two Best Picture nominees that just walks away blanked. And, but that would be a real shame for Arrival, which is such a technically beautiful movie. It got, I think, eight nominations. It was uh, really well done. And the cinematographer for Arrival Bradford Young is someone who I've been watching for a couple of years now. He's incredibly talented. He did Ain't the Body Saints, which is not a great movie, but is a very beautiful movie. He did this movie, uh, Mother George, that was really gorgeously shot. And he shot Selma, which is kind of what I thought was going to be his first Oscar nomination. And we know how that turned out. He's the second black cinematographer to be nominated in this category ever, which is insane and could be the first to win and really deserves it. Arrival is such a good movie because of its look and it's doing something different. And uh, Julie, in another great interview, talked about the production design 
of Arrival and how they you know made this egg shaped spaceship and all this interesting stuff. But I think the cinematography is a huge part of that too. And you know, like La La Land could win this if it you know everyone checks out the boxes and it is a really well done movie. But I feel like Bradford Young's got a shot here too. And I don't yeah. want him to be one of those people who is really great for so long that eventually he was like Roger Deakins and it's like what the hell? What do you have to do to win an Oscar? Yeah, he is great. You know, I think that an interesting way to look at a cinematographer's career is what directors hired them and like mm-hmm. he, like interesting directors are hired. He just ha- he has something, and I think this would be a good maybe bump up to a next plane. Some more directors are kind of wanting to work with him. Yeah, I mean, I need Roger Deakins to get an Oscar, so I don't need someone else who I'm like pulling for in right. this category. Like, get Bradford Young his, and then <laughs> yeah. we can get get, get back to Roger. Deakins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Mike, what about you? Well, I think you guys know that I really think Manchester by the Sea is a great, great movie. And probably the thing that makes it most great is the screenplay. I think it's just an absolutely incredible screenplay. So I think La La Land is the favorite there. Yeah. I would love to see Ken Lonergan win his first Oscar. He's been nominated twice before for screenplay for uh, Gangs of New York, oddly. And you can count on me. Gangs of New York. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. But I just think that that... You know, that movie holds up so well. It gets better with each watching because I think it's just so well constructed. And then, you know, I think Casey deserves best actor. And I like to talk about uh, Vigo Mortensen, but I think there's a lot. But Denzel, I don't know. The actor, I'm curious to see what happens in actor. I assume it'll be Casey, but maybe not. There's a lot of good stuff. In yeah. There. I mean, that's a temperature we can take. You know, Casey won the BAFTA handily. Denzel wasn't nominated. Yeah. Does anyone feel like best actor shifting? Just to really I go- feel like it's still a, there's still a question mark. Definitely. Yeah. I know I haven't talked to anybody who specifically said I switched my vote or anything like that, but it's probably you know. Denzel or Casey, right? Oh, yeah. I think I think yeah. that, that yeah. at this point, yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, that the SAGs sometimes predict things we didn't expect, and sometimes they just kind of veer off, and then you know the narrative returns to form, and yeah. what we expect to happen does. But I don't know. I would be excited to see some kind of shakeup there. Although I agree with you, Mike, that Manchester is a great film. Actually, this week I'm going to Sardi's, the kind of venerable theater restaurant where Kenneth Lonergan's portrait is being unveiled. There's oh, like a cool. little unveiling ceremony. Oh, that's good. Because he's a, you know, started as a playwright and still works yeah. as a playwright. Because, you know, he's a great writer and he has been consistent. And so, yeah, a win for him would be, I think, pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of films that I admire this year, but there's not many where I feel like every single moment is done on purpose and done really, really well. And that's, you know, he, he's the screenwriter and the director. He's nominated for both. But I think, yeah. you know, screenplay would be well-deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc., copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation.
This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. They have everything from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There is always something new to discover because with Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected so you can explore incredible movies streaming anytime, anywhere. Right now, they have a film collection for performers we love, and they are highlighting one of this year's Oscar frontrunners, Lily Gladstone. So I am here with David Canfield to talk about how much we love Lily Gladstone, and especially her film that is now on movie, Certain Women. David, fond memories there. Fond memories. What an introduction. None of us knew who she was before that film, um, but it's quite a thing to be in a Kelly Reichardt film with Michelle Williams, Kristen Stewart, and Laura Dern and completely steal it. And uh, now we're talking about it to this day. You can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash LittleGoldMen. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash LittleGoldMen for a whole month of great cinema for free. Mubi.com slash little gold men. Well, to wrap up this week's episode, before we get into the real crush of Oscar week, we're going to shift to television for the first time in a really mm-hmm. long time. I guess we talked a little bit about Westworld, but it feels like it's been a while since there was TV worth noting. And uh, after the Oscars... This might be the most little gold men It is. It's made to be discussed on history. this podcast. Yeah. So Ryan Murphy's Feud is premiering on FX after the Oscars. It's March... 5th. Basically, your post-Oscars uh, yeah. aperitif. I'm the only person in this room, I think, who has not seen any of it. Richard, you sat with Susan Sarandon at a lunch for it yesterday. You're really wrapped up in the feud of it. Yeah. So why don't you start, you know, should people be looking forward to the show and uh, what's it all about? Well, it's, you know, one of these FX limited series from Ryan Murphy that has kind of camp value and a great cast, but also, you know, sort of says something, you know, a little bit deeper, more interesting, like OJ did last year. But yeah, it's about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and before, during and after the filming of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which was a comeback film for both of them was this big unexpected hit. But they warred, you know, intensely while filming because they had had this long history together. And, and Joan Crawford was, you know, a not terribly stable person in a lot of ways, nor was Betty Davis to some extent. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's this kind of great throwbacky thing. Susan Sarandon plays Betty Davis. Jessica Lange is Joan Crawford. Um, oh, God, Judy Davis has had a hopper, the famous Hollywood gossip Catherine columnist. Catherine Zeta-Jones is Olivia de Havilland? Olivia de Havilland. How uh, does Al- she get involved in this, Olivia de Havilland? She's, she's um, not so she, a framing device of like a documentary yeah. about, the, about their relationship. Uh, yeah. She was a really good friends with... With um, Betty Davis. Ah, with yeah. Betty Davis. They were studio players together, I think, at Warner Brothers. So it's just this great cast. It's really juicy. It's fun. But I was telling Mike before we started recording that episodes four and five, I've seen the first five. Of eight? Ten? Uh, eight. Okay. And episode four is all about Oscar nominations, and episode five is all about the Oscars, like oh the God. backstage of the Oscars. So it's very germane to people who listen to us who are fans. <laughs> yeah, it would be like uh, Oscars that. methadone. Like It'll air about a month after the awards are over. So just when yeah. you're like done uh-huh. processing <laughs> yeah. everything, you're like, okay, yeah. I'm back in. And it's a really, you know, it's not an undo- previously undocumented Hollywood story. There's at least one book that I know of about this whole feud. But it's just really fun. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's like old Hollywood at its kind of darkest, which is cool. Yeah, I saw the first two episodes at a screening the other night and then went to a dinner afterwards and Ryan Murphy gave a nice speech and introduced everybody, but especially Jessica Lang. 
as his kind of muse, basically. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. I mean, it's, there's, <laughs> you gotta wonder about the dynamic between Jessica and Susan, frankly, mm-hmm. in the making of this thing. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. even just from a method perspective, it would have been fun for them to sort of terrorize one another. Sure. But, well, you they've know, been, you know, their careers have been paralleling each other for so long. Like they were really at their primes at the same time. And yet they've time. never worked together before this. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I mean, they must have been up for the same roles over and over again. An interesting yeah. thing is each of them is 10 to 15 years older than the woman they play in the movie oh, that's interesting but you know older mm-hmm. actress now is different from older actress in 1962 they, they betty and joan were like in their 50s yeah but they were like completely over the hill mm-hmm. you know like the all they were getting like old ladies well and not that baby jane isn't this but all they were getting were these crazy you know women roles or like harridan mother you know although some young right. actress is being tormented or something and they and yeah. at like at like 50 something like it's it's nuts yeah. yeah so um so that's you know i guess that's that's progress but it's also interesting to show <laughs> but but you can also see the resentment they had from being typecast as mm-hmm. old ladies is yeah. even more intense yeah. because they were young i mean you know yeah. they were not old so i went to the lunch following the dinner you know the next day and something interesting that um because gail king was moderating and she asked susan sarandon and jessica lang if they'd ever worked together and she said no but of course we came you know we came up kind of around the same time we've we've known each other for a long time and susan sarandon said you know usually they only let one woman be in a movie yeah she's like i've had opportunities with thelma and louise and tammy the melissa mccarthy movie and one other i forget which one to you know well, the meddler. The, I was just um, going to say the meddler. Uh, to kind of share lead with another actress. And you're thinking, yeah, that is pretty rare. And then go back to 1962, it was even rarer. Yeah. And there it was. And it just kind of makes you want more of it, you know. But um, I mean, what a year at 70 years old, which is shocking when you see her, that, that Susan Sarandon is having yeah. between the meddler and this thing. She exists yeah. to I mean, make us all feel like decrepit shells because yeah. she's older. Well, I know. So then gorgeous. meanwhile, she's running around with the Bernie thing, although that was starting to look more prescient than it did uh-huh. at the time. <laughs> yeah. um, she's incredibly well cast as Betty. She looks like Betty. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a little bit Weirdly. of something yesterday about the show. And I said that there are moments where she'll kind of arch her eyebrow and tilt her head. And it's like, oh, my God, that's Betty Davis. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, Betty Davis was a had a, a different look, let's say, than Susan Sarandon. I mean, Susan Sarandon is sort of like glamorously beautiful. And Betty right. Davis wasn't that. But it but it really works well. Yeah. yeah. And the Hedda Hopper stuff is just it's hilarious. Fantastic. I mean, Hedda Hopper was Helen Mirren in Trumbo. And then yeah. uh, Tilda Swinton was playing like a version of Hedda Hopper in Hill Caesar. So uh-huh. she's really having a moment. She really is. And on the one hand, it's horrifying the tactics she uses. On, on the other hand, as a journalist uh, of sorts, I'm envious. Because <laughs> sure. her sort of she just, threats and cajoling and dark arts are it works. incredibly Imagine if impressive. Barge into some movie star's house now yeah. and be like, all right, give me the... Just walk know. in, the housekeeper is yeah. like, no, no match for you. Just bulldozed yeah. on the floor. So, Joanna, you're pretty well versed in the Ryan Murphy universe and watched him and Jessica Lange work together from American Horror Story. I mean, is this of a piece with the stuff he's done? Is he kind of leveling up after the success of OJ? I think it's more camp than OJ. Like, I think we all agreed that the writers on People vs. OJ Simpson were a bit of like a sort of balance of a check on Ryan Murphy's tendency for camp. And I think you see this veering back towards the American Horror Story camp version. But it seems so personal, this particular story for Ryan Murphy. Like, I saw a screening of the first two episodes of the TCAs 
back in January and they started at like 10 after a long day. And so it was just a few weary television critics in there because everyone was very tired. And Ryan Murphy was like pacing in the back of the room. Like he seemed more nervous and excited and agitated about this than I've ever seen him about something. And I know he had a personal relationship with Betty Davis as a kid, like exchanged letters with her and talked to her. And so I think that this is the most emotionally Ryan Murphy show. This is the thing that he wants us to care about that he cares about so much. Oh, that's interesting. And to your point about, you know, the, they don't often allow two actresses in the same movie or in a show like this. I mean, I think that's true of this. And also we should just mention briefly that Big Little Lies, which stars Nicole Kidman and Reese Witherspoon, two Oscar winners, uh, is premiering this Sunday on HBO. And they said something very similar at TCA's where they were just blown away and emotionally overwrought by the opportunity to have a project where Laura Dern, Nicole Kim, and Reese Witherspoon, Jillian Woodley, Zoe Kravitz could all have these juicy roles and you just don't see that for women. And so TV continues to be this place, and, and Ryan Murphy's particularly friendly to this for well, right. actresses he, of a certain, certain age or not. He reorganized his whole company to make sure that 50% of directors are women, and like he's, right. he's really embraced this in a huge way. I mean, it does say something that we're talking about, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford suffering with the movie rules offered to them. Uh, these are, None of these are movie rules. These are all on television. Yeah. I mean, and that's you know, a huge benefit to those of us who like good stories and acting, but um, the movies maybe still haven't really picked up that baton. There's something that Nathaniel Rogers, friend of the show who runs The Great Side, the film experience, he years ago named himself an actress sexual, you know, like oh, yeah. he's a gay man, calls himself an actress sexual. I can't say it out loud. Um, but, <laughs> you know, and he like is always paying homage to these great actresses. And I feel that Ryan Murphy is the exact same way where, you know, he's a gay man, but he just loves these women and giving them just so much meat to chew on is, you know, he's going to do the same for Annette Benning in American Crime Story season two. So I'm, I'm grateful for him for giving these women this sandbox to play in. And one of the things I love about it is in an era when people get kind of worried about what's problematic and what's, you know, politically correct to show, he doesn't shy away at all from the terrible behavior, from the dark arts deployed by all three of these ladies, if you think about Hedda as well as Joan and Betty. But it's all contextualized you know, and that's one of the things that the documentary helps with, with these actresses looking back on all this in the 70s, just saying, well, what else were we going to do? We didn't have any power. Like, mm -hmm. this was the only power that we had. Seduce the director. When in doubt, you know, seduce yeah. the director. Both of them were working on that. Divide and conquer. Use the press. All this stuff. So he found a way to show just how horrible people can be and also have you root for them and also have you empathize with them, which I think he did with People versus OJ, too. Mm -hmm. You know, in that case, he made sure he had enough African-Americans on his team so that if he's going to show Johnny Cochran playing dark arts games, you know, it's done from a perspective of understanding where he's coming from. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the best things that that show did was, I think the episode where he really gets into playing the race card, as they called it, it opens with him being pulled over by a cop on a Beverly Hills Drive or something yeah. like that. And you kind of see where that anger comes from for him and see like how it's rooted in logic for him. And you get where he's coming from. And then yeah. the same with Marshall Clark, the same with, you know, OJ to some extent. So, yeah, I'm excited to see that applied to crazy Hollywood cat fights. And honestly, this thing feels to me, just having seen the first two episodes, I don't want to overhype it either, but it feels like a big budget film at eight hours rather than, mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing TV about that in the old kind of low budget right. three camera setup. Like, no, it looks this great. is a guy who came up through genre, has acquired enough power to have a huge budget, and he's in like a kind of a 
high Hitchcock phase of his career, I feel like. Yeah, I believe they sort of meticulously recreated Joan Crawford's house, like at, to every detail. And it doesn't look like a set. I mean, it's it's a house. It's a mansion. How about that set is. for the Golden Globes? Where where you realize oh, yeah. it was basically like a high school gymnasium, but yeah, you yeah. know that it's right. It's, it's like, like it looks like a, it looks like a bad looked. wedding. And, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. the gloves have been like brand new back then. And I don't want to take away at all from all the wonderful women that are that are in this production, but I want to give a shout out to Stanley Tucci, who has done so much good work in his life supporting Meryl Streep and other actresses and films. And this is no different. As Jack Warner, I just love him in this part. And Alfred Molina is really, really great, too, I think, yeah. as their director. Mm. Yeah, it's just a great, it's a good cast. And I was saying to um, <clears throat> to Susan uh, <laughs> and to Isabella Rossellini, who was also at my table. Sure, um, sure. That, that's a normal thing. Very, very nice person. But I was saying, you know, I have some knowledge of old Hollywood stuff, whether it's the actual films or the sort of lore surrounding them. But just watching these five episodes and then kind of pausing and looking on Wikipedia, whatever, and just kind of watching, there's a great um, clip of, or the whole episode, I think, of Betty Davis on the Dick Cavett show in the 70s and post all this. But, you know, it made me want to go watch Betty Davis movies I haven't seen or Joan Crawford movies I haven't seen and read more about this. And to expose that to a younger generation, because Ryan Murphy has a lot of young fans, I mean, youngish, you know, under 40 or whatever, there's an exciting potential there to kind of have a little revival of like, older film older cinema which yeah. is cool well and you know where this is inevitably headed which is that in September at the Emmys Jessica and Susan will be up against each other and only one of them can win so prepare for that <laughs> it can only end yeah. in tears Anne versus Nicole Anne versus Reese oh, oh man god really. alright so and by the way for the... people who want to read more about this era you can just look up on the free internet The Devil and Miss Davis by William Fry in April 2000 issue of Vanity Fair uh, yeah, yeah from Vanity Fair I worked on this but it's on the site now Bill Fry was a producer for TV who worked with Betty starting in uh, 1957 and um, the way that these articles were constructed is my boss and I would go out to Palm Springs for three days and record everything he said and then we kind of transcribe and and work with him to put these together but this thing it's all really really fun crazy stories including the time that she came at him with a kitchen knife hey okay so you know (laughs) Betty had her her, issues as well had her own troubles yeah that does it for this week's episode. We'll be back with five episodes next week. The countdown to Oscars begins. You can find us all at VanityFair.com, writing so much about the Oscars and everything else. We're on Twitter at Little Gold Men. Again, we love hearing from you. And we're all on our own. I'm at Katie Rich, Richard. Rylaws. Joanna. Joe wrote this. And Mike. Mike underscore Hope. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And this week's award for best summation of this year's Oscar race goes to Mike Hogan. Problematic, but amusing.